Welcome to the Water Margin Podcast. This is episode 21. Last time, we left Yang Zhi, the blue-faced beast, in a pretty good place as he had earned the trust of the governor of Daming Prefecture. We then hopped on over to East Bank Village in a little county named Yuncheng. There, we met a war chief named Chao Gai, who had just received a visitor named Liu Tang, aka the red-haired devil. Liu Tang told Chao Gai that the governor was preparing a ton of valuables to be sent to the capital as a birthday present for the governor's father-in-law, who was the premier of the imperial court. Both Chao Gai and Liu Tang had thoughts of hijacking the shipment, but before they got down to planning the heist, Liu Tang decided to go settle a score with Lei Heng, aka the winged tiger, the constable who had mistook him for a thief the night before and arrested him before Chao Gai saved him by pretending that Liu Tang was his nephew, and also greasing Lei Heng's palms with ten tails of silver. Oh, and by the way, if you are feeling overwhelmed by all the names, well, strap yourself in, because we are about to get blitzed with another slew of them in this episode. But, to help you keep everyone straight, go over to outlawsofthemarsh.com, where each episode comes with a list of the major characters appearing in that episode, and there is also an overall running list of all the major characters who have appeared in our narrative so far. There is information on each character, such as their nicknames, the weapons they use, and links to pictures and more information about each. Just beware that the links to the Wikipedia entries include lots and lots of spoilers. Anyway, as we resume our story, Liu Tang had just caught up to Lei Heng and his militiamen, and the two were trash-talking each other, with Liu Tang demanding that Lei Heng return the silver that Chao Gai had given him, to which Lei Heng was like, well, why don't you come and take it? And Liu Tang was like, maybe I will. Pretty soon, the war of words had escalated into the brandishing of broadswords, which soon turned into the clanging of broadswords as the two men decided to hash out their differences with sharp pointy objects. Back and forth they went, trading blows in the middle of the road. Soon, they had fought for 50-some bouts without a winner. Lei Heng's 20 militiamen were just about to join in and help their boss when the fence gate at a nearby house swung open, and out stepped a man carrying two copper chains. Heroes, please stop, the man said. I have been watching you for a long time. Please take a break and hear me. As he spoke, he swung a chain between Liu Tang and Lei Heng, and they both pulled back their broadswords and disengaged to see who was meddling in their business. This new character was dressed like a scholar. He wore a cylindrical hat that came down almost to his eyebrows, and a wide flaxen gown with a black border that was tied at the waist with a tea-colored sash. His feet were clad in white socks and silk shoes. He had a handsome and refined face adorned with a long beard. This guy's name was Wu Yong, and he was nicknamed the Resourceful Star. He is a native of these parts and was renowned in the area for his knowledge and smarts. He now pulled back his copper chains, pointed at Liu Tang, and asked, Hey you, stop for a second. Why were you and the constable fighting? 
Liu Tang glared at this bookworm and said, None of your business, pedant! Lei Heng, who knew Wu Yong, cut in and said, Professor, that punk was sleeping half-naked in the temple last night, and we arrested him. When we took him with us to War Chief Chao's estate, we discovered that he was the War Chief's nephew, so we released him on account of his uncle. Mr. Chao treated us to some wine and gave us a little gift. But now, this punk has come to demand the gift back without his uncle's knowledge. You tell me, is he ludicrous or what? When he heard this, Wu Yong thought to himself, I have known Chao Gai since we were kids. He consults me in matters great and small. I know all of his relatives and acquaintances, but I have never seen this nephew, and he doesn't seem to be the right age either. There must be more to this. Let me calm them down and then ask him further. So Wu Yong said to Liu Tang, You're misguided, big fella. Your uncle is a friend of mine and good friends with this constable. Since he gave the constable a little gift, you are making your uncle look bad by coming to get it back. Drop the matter for my sake, and I will clear it up with your uncle. Scholar, you don't understand, Liu Tang said. My uncle didn't want to give him that silver. It was extortion. I swear, I will not quit until he gives it back to me. If the war chief comes to ask for it back himself, then I will give it back. But I'm not giving it to you, Lei Hung insisted. You wrongly accused me as a thief to extort that silver. How can you not return it? An incredulous Liu Tang demanded. Nope, no, 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 Lei Hung continued. Wu Yong now tried to intervene again. You two just fought for a long time without a winner. If you keep fighting, when will it end? If he doesn't return the silver, then I will fight him to the death. If I'm afraid of you, or if any of my militiamen comes to help, then I am no hero. I will cut you down myself. I'm not afraid of you. Come on, come on. Well, here we go again. Liu Tang and Lei Heng were once again gesturing angrily at each other and getting ready to trade blows again. Wu Yong tried to stand between them, but to no avail. Just as the two men were about to have at it again, the militiamen said, Look! The war chief is coming! From up the road, one could see Chao Gai rushing this way, with his robe untidied and hanging loose. He was shouting to Liu Tang, You rogue! Mind your manners! Wu Yong laughed and said, It will take the war chief himself to sort this out. As he approached, Chao Gai was huffing and puffing, trying to catch his breath. What are you doing here fighting with the broadsword? he asked. Your nephew chased us down with weapon in hand, demanding that I return the silver you gave me, Lei Hung said. I told him, I will give it back to the war chief, but not to you. It's none of your business. So, he and I fought for fifty-some bouts before the professor intervened. <sighs> that rogue, Chao Gai said. Constable, I had no knowledge of this. Please, on my account, be on your way. I will come apologize to you in person another day. I knew that punk was acting on his own devices, so I wasn't about to sink to his level, said Lei Heng. Never mind the fact that, you know, he just fought Liu Tang for like 50 bouts. Sorry you had to come all this way, he told Chao Gai. And with that, Lei Heng and his men took their leave, with Chao Gai's silver securely in his pockets.
Once they were gone, Wu Yong said to Chao Gai, If you had not come in person, we would have had a real situation. This nephew of yours is a hell of a fighter. I was watching from behind my fence. Even that famous constable Lei was not a match for him and was on his heel. If they had fought just a little while longer, Lei Heng would have lost his life. That's why I rushed out to intervene. Where did this nephew come from? I visit you often, but I have never seen him. Professor, I was just about to invite you to my house to talk about something, Chao Gai told him. But then, I discovered that he had gone missing, along with a broadsword from the weapons rack. I heard a young cowherd said that a big guy with a broadsword was heading south, so I chased after him. Thank goodness you intervened. Please, come with me to my manor. There is something we need to discuss. So Wu Yong went back to his study, which doubled as his classroom, hung up his copper chains, and told his landlord, When my students arrive, tell them that I have business today so they can have the day off. He then locked the doors to the study and went with Chao Gai and Liu Tang. When they got back to Chao Gai's manor, they went into a secluded room in the back and sat down. There, Chao Gai introduced Liu Tang and explained why he had come here. Chao Gai then told Wu Yong, His purpose in coming matches a dream that I had last night. I dreamt that the seven stars of the Big Dipper had landed on my roof, and then a small star on the handle turned into a streak of white light and sailed off. In my mind, it has to be a good omen when stars shine upon your house. I was just about to consult with you this morning. Wu Yong smiled and said, I had a hunch, just based on how suddenly Brother Liu showed up. This is a fine idea, but there's just one thing. For something like this, you need just the right number of people. No more, no less. Even though you have a lot of work hands here, none of them are cut out for this. Right now, it's just the three of us, and that is not enough. Even given your skills and Brother Liu's, we need seven or eight heroes for this but no more than that. Could this be what my omen of the seven stars was foretelling? Chao Gai said. That dream of yours is quite something, Wu Yong answered. Could it be that assistance will be coming from the north? After pondering for a moment, Wu Yong suddenly said, I've got it! Professor, if you have trusted men, then go invite them at once so we can do this thing, Chao Gai implored. I just thought of three people who are filled with courage and honor and have uncommon fighting skills, Wu Yong said. And they will brave heaven and hell together. We absolutely need these three men to pull this off. Who are they? Where do they live? They are three brothers who live in Stone Tablet Village, which is perched on the edge of the marsh around Liangshan in Jizhou Prefecture. They make their living through fishing and under-the-table business in the marsh. Their family name is Ran. The oldest one is called Ran Xiao'er, with the nickname the Immovable Tai Sui. The middle brother is named Ran Xiaowu, with the nickname the Reckless Erlang. The youngest brother is named Ran Xiaoqi, with the nickname the Yan Luo Incarnate. I lived for a number of years in their village and was well acquainted with them. Even though they were illiterate, I interacted with them because they were honorable men of valor. I have not seen them in a couple years. If we can get those three, 
success will be guaranteed. Okay, I need to pause real quick here for a note on the Ran brothers' names. Again, they were called Ran Xiao Er, Ran Xiao Wu, and Ran Xiao Qi. Ran, of course, is their family name. The character Xiao means little or young, and the last character of each name, which is the one that distinguishes them from each other, were Er, Wu, and Qi, and those mean the numbers 2, 5, and 7. So basically, their names were Yang Ran the second, Yang Ran the fifth, and Yang Ran the seventh. Presumably, that means they were the second, fifth, and seventh child in the family, respectively. And as for their nicknames, they were all references to gods from the Taoist canon. Let's take the eldest brother, Ran Xiao Er. His nickname was the immovable Tai Sui. In Taoist mythology, a Tai Sui was a heavenly general and a personification of one of the twelve stars that were thought to be opposite Jupiter. These twelve stars correspond to the twelve years it takes for Jupiter to orbit the sun, which is why the Chinese zodiac is a twelve-year cycle. So each of these Tai Sui generals corresponds to a year in the cycle. Now, here's the really funky part. Whoever's year it was, it was believed that a corresponding supernatural meat-like clump of fungus would grow on Earth. And apparently, you do not want to mess with this trippy mushroom, or bad things would happen to you. In fact, there's a Chinese saying, disturbing the soil on top of a Tai Sui, and it means looking for trouble. So, Ran Xiao Er's nickname basically suggests that he was not one to be trifled with. Now, Ran Xiao Wu's nickname, the Reckless Erlang, is a reference to Erlang, a deity who has a third eye that can see the truth. The deity is also associated with several mythical folk heroes who helped control torrential flooding at various points in Chinese history. So this nickname could be an indicator of Ran Xiaowu's skills in the water, and the reckless part is probably a reference to his personality. Finally, Ran Xiaoqi's nickname, Yan Luo Incarnate, is a reference to Yan Luo, the king of the underworld in Taoist mythology, so it's kind of like Devil Incarnate. Again, not somebody that you want to run afoul of. So anyway, after Wu Yong mentioned the three Ran brothers, Chao Gai said, I have heard of them too, but have not yet met them. Stone Tablet Village is only 30 miles or so from here. Why don't we send someone to invite them here to discuss this matter? If you just send a servant, then they will not come, Wu Yong said. I must go in person and use the power of my words to convince them to join us. Great idea. When can you leave? We cannot afford any delay. I will leave at midnight tonight and be there by noon tomorrow. Perfect. And so Chao Gai now arranged for a meal for his two guests. As they ate, Wu Yong said, I have made a trip between Daming and the capital Kaifeng. We don't know which route the convoy delivering this birthday gift is taking. Brother Liu Tang, we will have to trouble you to go find out when the convoy is leaving and which way they're going. I will go tonight as well, Liu Tang said. Not so fast, Wu Yong told him. The premier's birthday is the 15th day of June. It's only early May right now. There are still 40-some days. 
Wait until I have recruited the Ran brothers, and then you can go. Quite right, Chao Gai chimed in. Brother Liu, you stay here with me for now. So it was decided. Around midnight, Wu Yong got up, washed up, ate a little breakfast, borrowed some money from Chao Gai, put on some hemp sandals, and set out toward Stone Tablet Village. He arrived around lunchtime. It was a scenic little place, with green peaks and ridges in the distance, surrounded by water on all sides. Fishing boats sat here and there, and fishing lines and nets hung between willow trees. Having lived here, Wu Yong knew the way, so he headed to the home of Ran Xiaoer, the eldest of the three brothers. When he got there, he saw a number of small fishing boats tied up to a post on the bank, while a tattered fishing net hung drying in the sun, and a dozen or so thatched houses sat against a backdrop of water and mountains. Brother Xiao Er, are you home? Wu Yong asked aloud. With that, a man walked out. He had erect eyebrows, a bare chest covered with yellow hair, a broad back, powerful arms, and eyes that shot out cold light. His hair was tied up with a torn towel cloth, and he wore a set of old clothes and had bare feet. Professor, what brings you here? Ran Xiao'er asked with surprise. I have some business, and have come to ask you for a favor. Well, whatever it is, I will take care of it. It's been two years since I left here, Wu Yong said. Right now, I am a tutor in the home of a wealthy man. He is planning a banquet and wants more than a dozen golden carps, each weighing about 14 or 15 caddies, so I have come to you. And 15 caddies, by the way, is almost 20 pounds, so we're talking about some big fish here. Ran Xiao'er chuckled and said, Let's have a few cups of wine, and then talk. Yes, that's the other part of my coming to you, too, Wu Yong said. There are a few taverns on the other side of the lake, Ran Xiao'er suggested. How about we ride over there on a boat? Perfect. I also want to catch up with your brother Xiao Wu. Is he home? Let's go see. So the two men went to the bank and untied one of the small boats. Ran Xiao'er helped Wu Yong into the boat, and then grabbed an oar lying beneath a tree and rowed into the lake. As he was rowing, Ran Xiao'er suddenly waved and shouted, Hey, Xiao Qi, have you seen your brother? Wu Yong looked in the direction that he was shouting at, and from among the reeds, a small boat emerged, rowed by a man who had odd facial features, bulging eyes, and a yellowish beard. His skin was marked with black spots, and he had muscles so firm that he looked like he was made of copper. He wore a black straw hat with a wide brim, a checkered vest, and an apron. This was Ran Xiaoqi, the youngest of the brothers. He stopped his boat and asked, What do you want with Brother Xiao Wu? Wu Yong now shouted, Brother Xiaoqi, I have come to talk to you guys. Oh, Professor, my apologies. I haven't seen you in so long. Come get a drink with us, Wu Yong said. I've been wanting to drink with you, Professor, but we never see each other anymore. So now, Ran Xiaoqi steered his boat alongside his brothers, and they soon rowed to a stretch of seven or eight thatched huts, elevated above the water. 
Mom, is Xiao Wu at home? Ran Xiao Er shouted. He won't listen to anything I say, their mother replied. He hasn't been catching anything and has been gambling day after day and losing every coin. Just now, he took my hairpin and went to the gambling house again. Ran Xiao Er chuckled and pushed his boat away. Ran Xiaoqi followed in his boat and said, My brother, I don't know why, but he keeps losing at the gambling house, but he never gets discouraged. But he's not the only one. I've been losing my shirt too. When Wu Yong heard this, he thought to himself, This is too perfect. The two boats now rowed toward a little market town nearby. After an hour or so, they spotted a man next to a single plank bridge holding two strings of coins and getting into his boat. There he is, Ran Xiao Er said. Wu Yong looked and saw that this man had arms that looked like steel staffs and eyes that resemble copper coins. His face may have a trace of a smile, but also hints of a killer. He too had his hair tied up in a bun with a tattered tilted bandana, and he had a pomegranate flower tucked behind his ear. His old tunic was open, revealing a blue panther tattoo on his chest, and his plain trousers were tied at the waist with a checkered towel. Brother Xiao Wu, did you win? Wu Yong shouted. Oh, professor, it's you! Haven't seen you in two years. I've been waiting for you guys on the bridge for a while. We went to your house to look for you, Ran Xiao Er said. Mom said that you had gone to town to gamble, so we came here to look for you. Let's go to that tavern over the water to get a drink. So Ran Xiaowu rushed into his boat, and the three boats now rowed onto a nearby tavern overlooking the water. They steered into a lotus flower-covered pond next to a pavilion over the water and hitched their boats. They then helped Wu Yong onto land, and they all went into the tavern and sat down at a red table with benches. Professor, please forgive our crude manners and take the seat of honor, Ran Xiao Er said. Oh no, that will not do, Wu Yong protested. Brother, just take the seat of the host, Ran Xiaoqi said to Ran Xiao Er. Have the professor take the seat of the guest, and then the rest of us will just sit wherever. Brother Xiaoqi always cuts right to the chase, Wu Yong said with a smile. After the four of them sat down, they asked the waiter to bring a bucket of wine. The waiter also set out four big bowls, four sets of chopsticks, and four plates of vegetables. What kind of food do you have? Ran Xiao Er asked. We just butchered an ox. It's nice and fat, the waiter told him. Okay, bring us ten caddies. Cut it into large pieces. Ran Xiaowu now said to Wu Yong, Professor, please don't laugh at us. We don't really have any delicacies to treat you. Oh no, I have imposed on you guys, Wu Yong said. Oh nonsense, Ran Xiaowu chimed in. Soon the beef was brought out on two plates and set on the table. The Ran brothers let Wu Yong have first dibs, and he was full after just a few pieces. Then, the three brothers pounced on the meat with tiger-like ferocity. So, professor, what brings you here? Ran Xiaowu, the middle brother, asked. He's a tutor at a rich man's house now, Ran Xiaowu explained. He needs a dozen or so golden carps, weighing 14 or 15 caddies each, so he came to us. Ran Xiaoqi said, 
In the past, it was not unusual to catch 30 to 50 such fish at one time, much less a dozen. But now, it's hard to even get fish that weigh 10 caddies. Well, the professor has come all this way, Ran Xiaowu chimed in. So no matter what, we can at least come up with a dozen or so that weigh 5 or 6 caddies for him. I have brought plenty of money, Wu Yong said. But I don't want small fish. I need fish that are 14 to 15 caddies. <sighs> Professor, there is nowhere to get those, Ran Xiaoqi explained. Even the 5 or 6 caddy ones that my brother just mentioned will take a few days to get. Oh, that reminds me. I have a bucket of small live fish in my boat. We can have them with the wine. So Ran Xiaoqi went and fetched the bucket of fish, which weighed a total of 5 or 6 caddies, and cooked them himself on the tavern stove. He put them into 3 plates and brought them to the table. Professor, just have a little bit, it's not much. So the four of them ate some more, and by now, the sky was starting to dim. Wu Yong thought to himself, This tavern is no place to talk. It looks like I'll be staying with them tonight. I will talk to them there. Just then, Ran Xiaoer said, Professor, it's getting late. Please, stay at my house tonight, and then we will worry about this in the morning. I have come all this way, and it's a rare opportunity to get the three of you together, Wu Yong said. It looks like you won't be letting me pay for this meal. Since I'm staying at Xiaoer's place tonight, then here, I have some silver, Let's buy a jug of wine and some meat from this tavern, and then find a chicken somewhere in the village and drink to our heart's content tonight. What do y'all think? There's no need for you to spend your money, Ran Xiaoer said. We can take care of it. Don't worry about it. I came specifically to treat the three of you, Wu Yong said. If you won't let me, then I guess I'll have to take my leave of you. Ah yes, the good old Chinese ritual of, here, let me get the bill. No, 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 I've got it. I insist. Well, Ran Xiaoqi was not one for such back and forths. He said, since the professor has offered, then let's just take him up on it and get him back some other time. See, Xiaoqi is always so straightforward, Wu Yong said. So he gave Ran Xiaoqi a tail of silver and asked him to buy a jug of wine, 20 caddies of cooked beef, and a pair of chickens. And that will also cover what I owe you, Ran Xiaoer told the tavern keeper. Perfect, the keeper told him. So the four men left the tavern with their takeout, returned to the boats, and rowed back to Ran Xiaoer's home. There, they sat down on the ground behind the house and asked for the lamps to be lit. Ran Xiaoqi killed the chickens and handed them to Ran Xiaoer's wife to prepare. Of the three Ran brothers, Ran Xiaoer, the eldest, was the only one who was married, so his wife and little boy now busied themselves in the kitchen, while the four men sat around a table in the pavilion behind the house, overlooking the water. After a couple hours, all the food and wine were on the table. Wu Yong now offered the brothers a few cups of wine, and then brought up the matter of acquiring the fat carps again. You have such a huge fishing ground here, so how come you don't have any big fish? He asked. To see the Ran brothers' explanation for their collapsing fish stock, tune in to the next episode of the Water Margin Podcast. Also on the next episode, are you ready for more names? I hope you are, because we've got them. So join us next time.
Thanks for listening.